I think I got inspired yesterday for today's message. If you saw me getting excited when Mrs. Leach was opening the service in prayer, it's because she quoted the verse I'm preaching on today. And it's one of my favorite verses, and I haven't preached on it in a long time. I learned something new about this last night, and I'll share more about that in a minute. But we all know the verse, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, verse 31. And I had my notes already from Isaiah 40, verse 28 to 31. And I felt the Holy Spirit arrest me and say, no, you need to go further back because you've been missing something all these years whenever you have quoted that verse, whenever you've preached on that verse. How many of you know you never get to the bottom of this treasure chest, which we call the Word of God? You may think you know John 3.16, and all of a sudden God will open your eyes and show you something you never saw there before. And I thought I knew Isaiah 40, verse 31, until yesterday. And so I want you to turn to Isaiah 40, where we're going to go a little bit further back to get some very, very important context for this verse that we all know. Isaiah 40, and I want to start at verse 25. Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 25. I think we have it up on the screen if you want to follow there. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. In verse 27, this is a verse I've never paid any attention to, and it's the key to understanding this whole passage. God asks, Why do you say, O Jacob... And complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. And everybody read with me, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings with eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Father God, we thank you for the eternal word of God. I thank you for the power of your anointing and your Holy Spirit here today to set us free, to open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, to receive all that you have for us today, that we may leave here changed, transformed, and freed to serve you, to trust you, to hope in you, to walk in renewed strength. God bless this word now to each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Renewed like eagles is the title of my message today. How many want to be renewed? 
Now, I haven't even gotten into the message yet, but how many of you like to be able to soar like an eagle? Amen. Amen. I sure do. I want to break this down into a couple of parts this morning, and it shouldn't take long. But I want to really zero in back at verse 27 again, because this, for me, opened up a whole new realm on these verses, and especially verse 31 that we all love and know. But something was going on with the people of God. And God was putting his finger on something and he was confronting them with something that can be very common in your life and mine. Now, I know this doesn't happen to anybody but me, but they were, are you ready for this? Complaining. Thank God no one else here does that. No one ever complains. And we certainly never have any complaints to God, do we? Hmm. Israel was complaining. And I want you to pay close attention to their complaint and see if maybe, just maybe, sometime in the distant past, you've entertained a similar kind of a doubt or a complaint. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? And here's what they were saying in their, in their hearts, not necessarily saying it with their mouth. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Now, I want to look at another translation that I think will help us to understand what they really were saying. But let me, let me translate this for you. What they were really saying is, God doesn't even see what I'm going through. God doesn't even notice me. He doesn't even care what's going on in my life. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but uh, you can raise your spiritual hand if you want. How many of us have ever felt that way at some time or another? Does God even see me? I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm singing. I'm quoting verses. I'm preaching. I'm serving him. I'm doing all these wonderful things. And he just seems to be deaf. He seems to be blind. He doesn't seem to even notice what I'm going through, my pain, my challenges, my difficulties. Maybe he's too busy or maybe he doesn't like me anymore. This is what was going on with the people of God. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Let me read this to you from the Message Bible. I don't think we have it on the screen here, but just follow with me. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. These people, somehow, they had come to a place in life because there are challenges in life. There are problems. There are difficulties in our daily human lives. They came to a place where they actually believed God no longer cared. God no longer was noticing them. Somehow his GPS system failed and he'd lost track of them. They were no longer on the radar. And his response is interesting. Basically, if you go back to verse 26, the previous verse, indirectly, God is telling them, are you noticing? 
Are you looking? Are you seeing? Are you aware of who I am and what I've done and what I've made? Notice he tells them, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Stop looking at your problem. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at these little things down here. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these, he asks. We did a whole message on this a while back about the heavens and the stars and the glory of God that's displayed in the creation. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? Listen carefully to what God is telling them. He who brings out the starry host one by one, and listen to this, calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now let me ask you, if they were really paying attention and understanding God's line of reasoning here, it goes something like this. Oh, poor me. God doesn't notice me. He must have forgotten my name. He must have lost my address. He no longer even cares about me. He's lost track of me. That's what they were saying. And here's God way up here. And if you were with us a few months ago, we learned that there are how many stars in the universe? Let me see if anybody pays attention. Darius, one septillion. You get an A+. Now, I know if Janae were in here, she could help me with this one. How many zeros after a one in septillion? 24 zeros. One with 24 zeros. That's how many stars astronomers now estimate there are in the universe. Now, somebody help me here. Could you remember one septillion names? I got a better challenge for you. Jasmine, can you think of one septillion names? God can. He's given every single one of those stars a different name. And he knows and remembers every one of them by name. Is it going to be difficult for God to keep track of 7 billion people? If he has already named one septillion stars. This is what God is trying to open their minds to see. We think, wow, there are so many people on the earth. God must be too busy working with the people in Russia or China or India. Maybe he's lost track of me. Let me tell you something. God doesn't have any problem keeping track of 7 billion people. He can keep track of septillions of stars and sand grains and snowflakes. He's a mighty God. Because of his great power and mighty strength, listen to this, not one of them is missing. Now, would you have noticed if we lost one star overnight? (laughs) God would have. That's how careful he is with detail. And coming over to the New Testament, Jesus expands on this. He says, I know how many hairs are on your head. The hairs of your head are numbered. And the Father knows when one sparrow falls to the ground. Are you not worth much more than sparrows, Jesus said. Well, let me go a little further. What do you think is worth more to God, a star or you? Did Jesus shed his blood on the cross to save a star? No, he shed his blood on the cross to save you and to save me. How important, how valuable each one of us is to God. And yet, if we're not careful, we can slowly 
start lowering our eyes and our perspective and we're no longer lifting our eyes and looking to the heavens where God dwells and we're looking just at the earth we're looking at our mundane problems and we've lost track of God they were complaining God has lost track of me God's response is you've lost track of me you need to change your perspective you need to look up and you need to understand who I am You know, in Isaiah, a little further along, let's go quickly there. Isaiah chapter 49, starting at verse 13, we see a similar kind of a conversation going on between God and the people. There's a song we used to sing from this particular scripture in Spanish when I was pastoring in Puerto Rico. It's a beautiful passage. Shout for joy, O heavens! Rejoice, O earth! Burst into song, O mountains! For the Lord comforts His people and will have compassion on His afflicted one. Now stop there for a minute. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't sound like you think it's very wonderful. I'll give you another chance. Isn't that wonderful? Amen! Shout for joy! Rejoice! Burst into song! God comforts His people. He has compassion on afflicted ones. But look at the next verse. But, but, that can be a real problematic word, especially if God has just announced a promise or some marvelous thing he wants to do or some marvelous revelation he's given to us and our response is, yeah, but. And that's what's going on here. But Zion said, Zion, of course, is another term for Israel. But Zion, the people of God said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This seems to be a fairly common problem with God's people. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. What are are they doing? They're basically calling God a liar. And we don't often look at it this way, but I have begun to look at doubt in my life in a different light. When I'm doubting God and I'm speaking things with my mouth that are contrary to what he's already promised, I'm really calling God a liar. God, you're not telling me the truth. This is not what you promised, so therefore I must not be able to trust you. God said, I'm going to comfort the afflicted ones. I'm going to have compassion on my people. They say, no, you're not. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Keep going. Here's God's response. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Is that possible? It may be in a couple of weird situations, but in 99.9% of the times, do mothers just forget they have a child? (laughs) You know, I think I left my baby somewhere. I haven't seen her in three days. That's insane. God has wired mothers. I can't understand it because I'm not one. But he's just wired mothers in some kind of a way that they just do not forget that baby. But God says, if it's possible, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I will not forget you. And if they still haven't gotten the message, look at verse 16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. 
How was your name, how was my name engraved in the palms of God's hands? Any ideas? Could it be a reference to the nails that held his hands on the cross? Could he not be saying that that ultimate sacrifice that he made on the cross should eliminate any further discussion from our hearts and minds about God forgetting us, about God not loving us, about God not noticing us, about God not caring about us. He's got us graved into his hands now because of the cross. You know, after 400 years in slavery in Egypt... The children of Israel, they had some pretty good reason to begin to doubt whether God was really with them or not, whether they were really the chosen people of God or not, and whether God was hearing their cries, seeing their affliction, whether he was ever going to do anything about their situation. Now, I don't think anybody in here has been struggling with their problem for 400 years yet, have they? Do I see any hands? Maybe for 400 days, maybe for... Four years, maybe for 40 years. Some problems seem to take a long time to find a resolution. And during that time, there's a tendency for us to begin to doubt, begin to question, begin to wonder whether or not God is seeing, hearing, and caring. Well, after 400 years in slavery in Egypt, the children of Israel had good reason to begin to doubt and question until... God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And I want you to hear his words in Exodus 3 from verse 7 to 9. This is what God wanted to tell Moses, and then indirectly Moses would tell the people this. Exodus 3, verse 7 to 9. And this is after 400 years, God finally speaks. And here's what he says. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. My dear brother, my dear sister, my dear friend, whether you're here today or listening to this in the future through a recording, I want to tell you something. You may not know that God sees you, that God hears you. You may feel like he's forsaken you, he's lost track of you, but the same God that spoke to Moses at the burning bush is your God and he's my God. And he said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out, and I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Listen, I, I understand how sometimes in life we pray and we pray and we pray and we cry out to God about something. Nothing seems to be happening. And the devil is always waiting for that opportune moment to just fire one of his darts into your brain and say, um, excuse me, seems to me you've been praying about this for about 30 years now and nothing's happened. About time you gave up. 
About time you realize that God doesn't care. God doesn't listen. He's not hearing your prayers. So you might as well quit. If you hear that voice, you better learn to recognize where it's coming from. That's not your mind talking. That's the devil trying to introduce doubt into your mind about these things that we're discussing this morning. God does care. God does see. And God does hear. Nothing escapes his notice. And don't even for a moment think he doesn't know what's going on in your life right now. Now, that can be scary and that can be comforting. Sometimes people get scared when they hear us preach, God sees everything you're doing. Uh Uh-oh. God hears everything you're saying. Oh, God, you mean he heard me on the phone last night? Yes, he did. He saw what I did last Friday night? Yes, he did. So there's there's a kind of a scary side to that, but there's also a comforting side. If you're walking with a pure heart toward God, and you're, you're sincerely trusting God and wanting to walk with Him and please Him, what comfort it brings when you realize God sees me. God knows me. We sang earlier today, He knows my name. Does He really? Michael, does He know your name? You better believe He does. Think He knows how many hairs you have? Think He knows how many times your heart beats every minute? He knows it all. He knows everything about every one of us. And we need to get this into our spirit that this is our God. He cares about me. He hears me. He sees me. He is watching over my life. The second thing I want to talk about in this passage from Isaiah 40, and I like the way the NIV has translated verse 31. If we can go back there now, Isaiah 40 verse 31. We're used to quoting the King James, I believe. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, which, which is fine. I mean, that's good. But the NIV, I think, captures the meaning a little bit better. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. This isn't just like waiting for the stoplight to turn green. This isn't just waiting for something to happen. The word in the original Hebrew implies expecting something. Looking, waiting, hoping expectantly. You're expecting something as you're waiting. So uh, another translation, I think I wrote it down here, uh, from the Amplified Bible. I don't think we have it on the screen, but just let me read it to you. Those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in Him, shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles, mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired. Those who hope in, wait upon, or look expectantly to the Lord. You know, I don't know what you're hoping or expecting from God, but I hope you're expecting a lot because he's promised you a lot. And one thing the devil would like to do is keep us out of this book. And keep us from understanding this book. Because the deeper you get into the word of God, the more you realize he's given you exceeding great and precious promises. And the promises of God 
cause us to begin to hope, cause us to begin to expect things from God. If I'm sick and I read, he sends his word and he heals them, that first breathes hope into my heart. Wow, I can be healed. I don't have to be sick for the rest of my life. And because I now have hope through the scriptures, I can begin to trust God and seek God and wait expectantly upon him for my healing. You know, God is called the God of hope. I like that. I like that. You know, we're living in a world today where hope is hard to come by. I was hearing a report recently about the people in Russia. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, they've had some very desperate economic times in Russia and continue to have. And I heard some fantastic number. I can't quote the exact rate, but the rate of alcoholism in Russia is off the chart. And the reason is there's such widespread hopelessness and despair. The people don't have any hope that their life is ever going to get any better, so they've turned to the bottle. Well, here in America, we're turning to other things now besides the bottle. There's a, there's a real epidemic in Montgomery County, Maryland now. I heard the, a report just this past week from the Montgomery County Police. They are gearing up now for an onslaught of heroin addiction and heroin overdoses in Montgomery County, Maryland. And Montgomery County police will soon be required to carry some sort of a nasal antidote for people who have overdosed on heroin because the heroin is so readily available in the streets to the children now, they can buy it for under $10. And we're, we're looking at a whole new world now. Why do people turn to cocaine, marijuana, heroin, and alcohol? It's because of hopelessness. Man, if you got a life, you don't need that junk. If you're getting high on Jesus, if you're soaring with wings of eagles in the power of God, who needs a drug? Who needs alcohol? Who needs some other substance to, to boost them or to lift them up? So we're, we're, we're dealing with a real serious problem here of hopelessness in America and in many of the nations of the world. But God is the God of hope. And His Word gives us hope. And we all go through seasons where because of difficulties, tragedy, whatever, we, we lose our hope. We get depressed, we get discouraged, we get down. And I'll, I'll tell you something, the only solution is to turn to God. What the devil will tell you is turn away from God. He, he, he's not going to help you. He's not listening to you. Uh, he's always failed you. So you might as well give up looking to God. That's the worst thing you can do. Turn to God. Run to God. Seek God with all of your heart. And he will renew hope in your heart. Abraham, we are told in Romans chapter 4, this verse always amazes me. He hoped, listen to this carefully, he hoped when all hope was gone. Now, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Can you hope when all hope is gone? Not in the natural. Abraham was tapping in to another source of hope. In the natural, his situation was hopeless. 
And I don't have time to go into all the story, but God had called Abraham to be a father of many nations. Problem. He and his wife were beyond the age of childbearing. They couldn't even have one kid, let alone thousands. And they kept getting older and older and no kids. And it was impossible for them to have kids. It was a hopeless situation. But when all hope was gone, Abraham kept hoping. Why did he keep hoping? What gave Abraham hope? Thank you, Susan. The promise of God is all he had. He didn't have any good doctor's reports. He didn't have any good charts. He didn't have any encouraging news. All he had was the word of God, the promise of God. And my friend, that's all you and I need to give us hope in a hopeless situation. We're singing happy birthday to Ayanna today. What a miracle that we're singing happy birthday to that child. What a miracle. Most of you know the testimony, but a little over two years ago, there was no hope of any birthday parties. Am I right, Pastor? There was no hope of any more birthday songs for that child. And here we are singing happy birthday two years later. She's running around, bouncing off the walls. You'd never know she was that close to death. God is the God of hope. And he gives us hope when all hope is gone. And we need to learn how to tap into that hope because here's the problem. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Let me read it to you from NIV. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Now what has to come first? Faith or hope? Hope. You got no hope? You have no hope of having any faith. Does that make sense? If you've lost all hope, you can't have any faith. And the devil knows that. That's why he shoots his darts at hope. He wants to take away our hope, discourage us, think, ah, God doesn't care about me. God's never going to answer my prayers. My situation with my kids, with my job, with my finances, it's never going to get any better. Listen to what you just said. Power of life and death is in the tongue. You just called God a liar by what you said. And you just closed yourself off from the supernatural power of God that Abraham understood when God questioned him. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I love that one. Is there anything? Come on. God is saying, bring me a challenge. Come up with something that's too hard for me and I'll show you what I can do about it. I had an experience I don't know if I shared it here or not. Uh, we've been doing some painting and renovation in our house. And about, what was it, two Sundays ago, <laughs> after we finished church, Chandani and my wife and I, we undertook quite a project in our old house. There was one final room that still had wallpaper on it. And I don't know if you've ever tried to remove 40-year-old wallpaper, but it ain't fun. And we were spraying this stuff all over the walls and little by little the paper was coming off. And thank God we finally got all the wallpaper off. Only one problem. After everything dried, I realized that the spray had left the stain all the way around on the ceiling, which I was not planning on painting again. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I didn't have the paint that I had used to paint that ceiling several years ago. I knew I, I just knew I didn't have the paint. And I'm like, oh no, now I gotta go to Home Depot, 
buy another can of paint, come back, it's going to take a couple hours, we're going to lose time, da 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 da. The Holy Spirit keeps telling me, go down to the basement and look in the paint. And I'm, I'm like arguing with God. God, I don't have any of that paint. I know I don't have it. It's gone. And this thing keeps bothering me. Go check the paint. People, I'm not making this up. I went down, and there in all of my old paint is a can of the exact ceiling paint that I needed to match that room. It was a brand new, unopened can. I didn't buy it. I did not buy it. And I would have remembered if I had. Can God put a can of paint in your garage? He can. He might send you to Home Depot. But once in a while, he wants to show you, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I like that. I like that. That's the God Abraham knew. And that's what gave him hope. And you know, last Sunday, when we started the song service here, we started with that song that we all have come to love and know, Jesus saves. What are the first three words of that song? Does anybody remember? Hope is here. Man, when when I heard those three words, it just went into my spirit. I had sung the song a hundred times, but here again, sometimes God has something more to reveal to you. And it just, it hit me. Hope is here. And I've been chewing on that all week. And I knew at some point I was going to be talking about hope. I didn't know it was going to be in this context, but hope is here. Hope is here. The devil wants you to believe hopelessness is here to stay. No, God says hope is here. There's always hope. All right, third point, and I'm going to finish this quickly. Back to Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will get old and tired. I thought I knew what this meant too until yesterday. They will renew their strength. That's certainly part of the meaning, but it's not the full meaning. And some of the Bibles may even have this in the margin. It would far better match with the original Hebrew if it were translated, and this is actually in the Amplified. Those who hope in the Lord will exchange their strength. Exchange. There's there's some sort of a transaction here. One thing is being traded for another. An old car is being traded in for a new one. That's probably the best analogy that can capture the word that Isaiah uses here. Those who wait expectantly, those who are hoping in the Lord, they're going to exchange their strength. And if you follow this whole passage that we've been looking at this morning, there are two kinds of strength. He talks about young men and youths, even they're going to wear out. Why? First kind of strength is natural. I don't care how young, how vigorous, how strong you are, natural strength has its limits, right? It wears out. There's a second kind of strength that God is talking about in this passage has nothing to do with age has nothing to do with your energy level has nothing to do with how strong you are as a person in the natural this is a supernatural kind of a strength and god is inviting us as we wait on him hope in him trust in him to trade in our natural strength and receive supernatural strength anybody want to join me in that trade Well, if you're still, you know, 
18, 21, 25, maybe you haven't learned yet the limits of your youthful natural strength. But let me give you a clue. It starts to wear out after a while. It starts to run down. And as you get up into the upper age levels, as some of us are now, you begin to realize your natural strength isn't going to be enough. It's not going to carry you through. You need something more. And God says, if you'll wait on me, if you'll look to me in hope expectantly, you can exchange your strength and I'll give you a new one. And then he indirectly, he tells us what this strength is going to be like. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. But he said earlier, even the young men, they're going to wear out. They're going to get tired. That natural energy has its limits. But when we trade in our confidence in our natural strength and start to trust in God for his supernatural strength, there's an exchange that takes place. I read it earlier, but let me read this part again from the Amplified Bible. They get it right. Those who wait for the Lord, who expect, look for, and hope in him shall change and renew their strength and power. They shall change and renew their strength and power. Finally, and it's connected with this, this exchange of strength, God says, is going to cause us to soar like eagles. God wants to renew us like the eagle. There's a verse in Psalm 103. We can turn there quickly. Psalm 103, verse 5. We all know the passage, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, and then one of the benefits is listed here in verse 5. Psalm 103, verse 5. I'm going to read it. Who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Mr. Macklin, you want to join me in waiting and hoping expectantly for that to happen? Amen. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, when something needs to be renewed, what does it imply? If you have to renew your driver's license, what happened? Your old one expired. Something got old and it needs to be replaced with something new. We don't need to be renewed unless... We're getting a little old. And the bottom line is we all get old. Spiritually and naturally, things wear down. Things wear out. Things get tired. They get old. They get rusty. And they need to be renewed. God says one of the benefits of trusting in Him, He will satisfy us with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. Okay, finally... Go back to Isaiah 40, verse 31. I want to talk just a little bit about this soaring on wings of eagles, mounting up on wings like an eagle. You know, there are different kinds of flight that you see in the various kinds of birds that God created. There are some that can't leave the ground. They're called flightless birds. There are some that can barely get off the ground. They flap a lot. 
They may be able to fly 15 or 20 feet through the air, and then they come crashing down again. But at the very top of all the birds are the birds like eagles and hawks. They are soaring birds. And it's fascinating to watch them. If you haven't, I really would challenge you to go someplace where you can see these birds flying. And you'll notice that for hours on end, they do not flap their wings. They're not way up there going like this. They're up there going like this for hours, for hours and hours. And they actually go higher and higher and higher without even flapping. It's a different kind of strength. It's a different kind of energy. And God has given these birds the wisdom, the instinct to know how to harness the power of the wind. By the way, the word in Hebrew for wind is the same word for spirit. Same word. They don't have two different words. So the eagle's secret, if I can use that word, is he doesn't use his own strength. He's traded that in. He's exchanged the strength of flapping for another whole kind of power, which is the wind. He waits for the wind to begin to rise. You know, hot air rises, and they call these currents of rising hot air thermals. And the eagles and the hawks, they know just when to jump off the cliff or to spring off the tree and just extend their wings and catch that rising thermal. And sometimes for hours, maybe even days, they are in the air far above all the chickens and the flapping birds, and they're not even moving their wings. The wind is doing all the work for them. And what I've understood about that, God wants us to learn to live in the Spirit to walk in the Spirit, to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, not to trust in our own natural strength, and not, not to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting older now, I, I don't have any more strength. No, 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 no. Those who wait on the Lord shall change their strength. They shall lift their wings and mount up. They don't just stay at the same level. They can go higher and higher and higher as those thermals, those wind currents lift them up. The youths will wear out, the young men will faint, but the eagle just keeps soaring and soaring and soaring. And you know, this whole concept of our youth being renewed like the eagles, eagles like any other bird, once a year, they molt, they lose all their old feathers. And I'll tell you, yesterday God spoke to me in the meeting we had here. And there were several things that God has been speaking to me for a long time that were reinforced very powerfully yesterday. And I made some serious decisions in my own, own life that things have to change. And one of the things we heard yesterday is getting away from dwelling on the past. We can talk about the past, think about the past. We keep hashing over what people did to us in the past and we wonder why we're going nowhere fast. God says, I'm going to do a new thing. Forget those old things. Don't dwell on the past. Well, the secret to the eagle's renewal is he sheds all of his old feathers. You know what? 
God spoke to me very clearly last night. He said, Wayne, you need to get rid of all your old feathers. All those old things that may have once worked for you, you were able to fly very well with them last year, but they're old now. They need to be shed. The Bible says to cast off every weight. Get rid of all the old junk. Put off the old man. Forgive if you need to forgive. We, we, we often as Christians, we're carrying around so much excess baggage. All kinds of weights and things that are dragging us down. Oh, pastor, you don't know what that guy did to me 38 years ago. Oh, really? It's still bothering you now after 38 years. Well, who's it hurting more, him or you? Not hurting him, it's hurting you. And my understanding of forgiveness, do it so you can get free. Do it so you can be renewed. Do it so you get rid of all your old feathers and you can get a new set. So you can soar once again on the winds of God. Finally, let me summarize this for you in about two minutes. God sees me, he sees you, and he knows everything we're going through. So be careful about entertaining those doubts. Oh, God doesn't know what's going on in my life. He doesn't care about me. He does. He's the creator. He's the everlasting God with unequaled power, strength, and understanding. And as we said, if he can count the stars and give every one of them a name, how much more he can keep track of each one of our lives. Let's let go of the past. And if you, if you weren't here yesterday, we're summarizing this for you several times because it's so important. Forgive and forget. Stop talking about the old junk. Stop dwelling on it in your mind. Start speaking something new. Start speaking God's word about your situation, about your children, about your family, about your marriage, about your money. Start speaking God's word and stop being stuck in the past so that you can be in a place where God can do a new thing. God spoke here very clearly yesterday. If we can get rid of this past, get rid of these old feathers, he's got a new thing he wants to do for us. Exchange your strength for his. In other words, we need to learn how to live in the spirit, live by the power of God and not by our own vigor and strength and energy. I want you to all stand today. And this isn't an altar call, but I want us all to come forward here and we're going to pray a prayer together as we close. Everybody, come on up. If you can, just grab hands with somebody and I want you to repeat a simple prayer with me. Heavenly Father, you know me by name. You see me. You know the number of hairs on my head. You know the number of stars in the heavens. You call them each by name. And I believe and declare today that you have not forgotten me. You have not forsaken me. You are always with me. Your eye is always upon me. Your ears are always open to my cry. And I can hope in you. Even when it seems that all hope is gone. 
I decide today to put my hope in the living God. And as I wait upon you, you have promised to renew my strength. I'm trading in my old strength. And I'm receiving new strength. The power of your Holy Spirit. And God, you promised that I will mount up on wings like an eagle. I will soar in the heavenlies. Far above all my enemies. Far above all my problems. More than a conqueror. Because of Jesus Christ. God, you are the God of hope. And from this day forth, I will not look backwards. I will not talk about my past. I will not dwell on the past failures. I will proclaim your promises. I will speak your word. And I will expectantly look for you to fulfill all of your promises. And God, you have spoken to this church that you're going to do a new thing. And we receive that now. In Jesus' name, we put the past behind us. We shake off all those old feathers. We forgive anyone that we've held anything against. We release them now. And God, we believe that you are setting us free to serve you, to worship you, to be all that you've called us to be. We thank you for all of your promises. We declare that you are faithful and you are true. And all the people said, Amen. That's what we sang today. And all the people said, Amen. So be it. It is done. Let's give God glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.